The podcast you are listening to is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. Let's do it! Right! Right! Whoa! All right! Hey, wait for me! After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2. Sequel Cast 2 is a podcast looking at films in a franchise one movie at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergy. And I'm your co-host, William Thrasher. I don't know why I'm speaking so fast. I think I had too much caffeine already. Um, so we are continuing our look at the Power Rangers um, you know, trilogy, so to speak, of theatrical films, which is just two in a reboot, really, um, with 1997's Turbo, a Power Rangers movie, directed by David Winning and Shuki, Shuki Levy, uh, produced by Jonathan Zaxor, written by Shuki Levy and Shell Danielson, based on... Gekisu Sentai Carringer by the Toei Company, um, starring Johnny Yon Bosch, Nakia Baris, Jason David Frank, Catherine Sutherland, Amy Jo Johnson, uh, and the rest of the idiots. Uh, music by Shuki Levi, cinematography, Elon Rosenberg, and um, distributed by 20th Century Fox. Um, this had a box office uh, domestically, which means United States and Canada, of $9.6 million. Um, I could not really find what the, the budget on this was, but this appears to be uh, cheaper than the last film, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie. I Yeah, this this uses almost all assets that would that had either already appeared on the TV show or would be the basis for the following season of the TV show. It, it fits firmly within the continuity. So having this is the first time i've ever seen the movie from beginning to end i stumbled on it on cable a few times but always just kind of changed the channel looking for something else and one thing that struck me is this whole movie feels like it was a tv movie that somehow got a theatrical release uh, i think you have a great point there thrasher because um just you look at the the cinematography the detail of some of the designs it seems more tv than television and what this reminds me of is uh remember the first x-files movie x-files fight the future yes and that was like a feature length thing that led directly into i guess i think it was season five of the x-files something like that. i believe you're right yes season five yeah so this is something you know i think sort of similar And, and you can also look at things like uh, the Battlestar Galactica pilot was cut down into like an hour and a half to be a theatrical movie. Oh yeah, and I've seen that version. It's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, yeah. I think in some ways better because of the pacing. Um, and you know, I love talking about box office, and I, I think you, I don't know if you like talking about it as much as me, but it's something we that comes up. <laughs> but in '97, with domestic box office, um, Turbo, a Power Rangers movie. Where do you think it was on the list? Seventy seventh. 124th. Oh, wow. So I gave that, that figure 10 million. That must be worldwide, because according to this other thing on 97, it made $8.3 million. Um, so it did better than like Oliver Stone's U-Turn, or uh, more to the point of something like this, Kevin Sorbo's Call the Conqueror. Mm. 
which was a rare fantasy movie starring Harvey Firestein in a supporting role. <laughs> oh, gosh. And also, Tia Carrera, I believe, was the villain in that movie. She was. You know, that's not a terrible movie. I heard it was originally scripted as a Conan movie, and then over the years they just made it uh, Cole, which, I mean, they're both Robert E. Howard um, properties. True, that, that both exist in the same universe, but at vastly different uh, points in time. <laughs> right, so some movies that did a little better than this, but in the same ballpark, was the um, the John Cleese uh, written film Fierce Creatures. Oh. Um, which he, he kind of got the uh, uh, Fish Called Wanda you know, crew back together and did a sort of thematically similar pastiche. As I recall, that's actually, that was that was like the big selling point. Is it's like a pseudo sequel to a fish called Wanda, uh, right? Yeah, um, and you know the Leave It to Beaver movie. I don't even remember that even coming out. Uh, <laughs> came it made a bit more money, but you know the number one stuff in '97 was Titanic, uh, Men in Black, uh, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, Liar Liar, Air Force One. Uh, oh, even Star Wars Special Edition was like in the top ten for that year, which is crazy. Oh wow! So, so, so there you go, right? Um, yeah, I mean, this this is also yeah, but, a very utilitarian film because this is the connective tissue that connects Power Rangers Zeo to Power Rangers Turbo. Right, Zeo being the season before and Turbo being the season uh, that happened after this, and. Uh, you know, you gave me homework last week, Thrasher, if uh, you recall. Yes, I recommended uh, the video, the monster-based video compilation, Lord Zed's Monster Heads, but also the uh, five-parter uh, Green with Evil, which introduces uh, the Green Ranger. It's sort, of, it's sort of the best way to encapsulate the core of what Mighty Morphin Power Rangers was. Yeah, I proceeded to um, ignore your device, and part of me, I had looked at that big list of intimidating episodes on Netflix, which I think might have been the first five seasons or something, <laughs> and I said, you know, why don't I watch from the beginning and see where I get? And I had to tap out less than 10 minutes into the episode, and it was, as you put last week, the wholesome nature of the kids at school, at the juice bar, at the gym, just infuriated me. I, I imagine if I watched the Japanese version, I could stomach it a lot better. Um, You're not, and I think, you know, some of the monsters look cool and, uh, and, and that sort of a thing. And Rita Repulsa has her charms, as we saw in the movie last week. And I, I don't think anything I could have watched would have <laughs> helped me for this movie. And yet somehow, even though it's not meant to be a standalone like the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie, I thought Turbo, a Power Rangers movie, made more sense. Barely. More sense than the previous film? Yes, than last week's movie, yep. Well, it it certainly has more exposition. I would say that most of the dialogue in this movie is exposition. I, I want I should have done a more firm count, but I do believe that every time the main villain Divatox is on screen, she at some point will just explain her plan again. A plan that was already explained to us in the opening text crawl. And that opening text crawl is a real doozy. Wow. It's it's long. It's like twice as long as the one from the previous film. They try to make it angled like Star Wars, but without exciting space music behind it, just kind of <laughs> dull tones. But then the real failing is that the voiceover is done. It's it's read aloud by the character of Zordon, who unfortunately speaks in this muffled, distorted voice. 
And I, I did notice Zordon, which if I guess I'm learning things about Power Rangers, the second movie in, he's that floating head, right? That yeah. sort of gives them mission briefings. Yeah, he's the floating and, head and the, in the tube. In the tube, yeah. And in this one, he looks like he does in the TV show. It's a lot cheaper looking, but he was much better looking in that um, Power Rangers movie, the first one. Well, yeah, I mean, they definitely like tr- did made some attempt to beef up a handful of the the effects and props and whatnot in the first movie. But th- but this movie, it's it's utilitarian. They're just going to reuse all the assets from the show, so he looks exactly like he does on the TV show. Right, and yeah, it, I didn't think about the voice being like dull for the intro, but it does, and it does make me wonder, like. Why do some of these movies with the text scrolls have a voice when Star Wars or Flash Gordon or, you know, the original serials that these things are take that thing from don't? Is I, it because they assume children can't read? I think it's because they assume that audiences are dumb. From the children to the adults, they assume the audience can't follow their narrative. So not only do they they give you all this exposition... But they will show it to you and read it to you because they don't think you can follow it. And I think that that's that's why the opening text crawl works so well in in Star Wars is it's not exposition. It's table setting and it's real quick. It's got the dramatic music and it's written with a little bit of flourish. Yeah. um, And and that that, you know, apparently the original one for Star Wars Episode four, A New Hope. Uh, was rewritten several times just to hit that right tone. And it, it's I, I've tried writing, I think on StarWars.com, they have a, a, a tool on there you can use to uh, to make your own crawl. And it's really hard to do if you give yourself that limitation of, okay, you know, three, three paragraphs, three sentences a piece. You have to be efficient and, and crisp um, with your wording. Uh, with the voiceover, it reminded me a bit of the Sylvester Stallone Judge Dredd movie, James Earl Jones read the opening text scroll, <laughs> even though he's not even a character in the movie. It's just like a celebrity uh, voice appearance. And it's it, it after like a certain point, you start tuning it out because it's just so much information. And you're like, I, I came here. I like reading. I like subtitles. But it's like that, that opening text scroll. It, it does not <laughs> do things any favor. And it's not really needed because, as you mentioned, the, the characters repeat the plot over and over and over again. Yeah. Oh, if if you are interested, I did transcribe the opening text crawl. <laughs> um. Yeah. Don't read the whole thing, but just read a choice excerpt. Okay. I'll, I'll just um. I'm I'm gonna read the parts that that I feel must the beginning and the part that I feel must be commented on. Uh, a pre- preference for a celebrity voice to read this, or should I just do Zordon or my own voice? You know, I would like to read some of it too. Why don't you throw it in the chat? Oh, excellent! We can do like a back and, and forth, and then uh, and yeah, we'll do back and forth with the paragraphs. And my celebrity impersonation will be uh, the late Christopher Lee. Oh, excellent! Uh, and uh, mine will be the hopefully not late Gilbert Gottfried. Okay. Um... He's on time, as far as I know. Okay, great. So, <laughs> yep, we'll, we'll take turns with the, these paragraphs. So, let's go. We're going to recreate the intro. All right. On a distant planet lives a great wizard named Larago. He is the keeper of a golden key, which unlocks the dimensional gateways of the universe. Larago is hunted by Divatox, a wicked galactic pirate who needs the wizard's power to release a terrible demon-like creature. 
Her plan is to join with him in a sinister marriage and bring forth a reign of terror on the galaxy. Lyrica's only chance is to seek the help of powerful friends. But first, he must escape his planet and make his way to Earth. Now, there's a lot to be said about the words that are selectively capitalized in this. Uh, but the thing that really jumps out at me... Um, one, Larago is just Gwildor from the Masters of the Universe movie, a short, fuzzy guy yeah. with a magic key that opens interdimensional doorways. But, but two, the big bad uh, Malagor, the monster that everybody's racing to summon slash defeat, not mentioned in the opening crawl, he's simply referred to as a terrible demon-like creature. So he's demon-like, but not a demon. Why? Why do we need to be that specific? Were they afraid if you called it a demon that would anger um, heavily religious parents who wouldn't take their family? But then, I, uh, in that case, it's like, hey, this movie has demons. No, son, you can't go to it. Hey, this movie has demon likes. Okay, sounds good to me. Well, like, that's such a well no one's going to know that until they see the opening crawl. Right. And they yeah, don't. Yeah. And they don't even have to use the word demon at all. They could just say horrible monster. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. Um. And, I mean, the way this movie begins, like, you have watched a lot more of this Power Rangers series than I have. And even you, I don't think I've seen the entire series, because I'm sure that's thousands of episodes by this point. Oh, Lord, yes. But, but this beginning with, with Larigo, um, who, who you know, is this fuzzy creature, I, I do, whose design, I think, is okay, and it has expressive eyes, kind of. Like, the mouth doesn't move around that much, but it's clearly a robotic head. Um, well, it's it's like a weird cross between an Ewok, a troll doll, um, a third trimester, and a third trimester fetus, with a little bit of Hobbit thrown in. There's a schmear of Hobbit. I could see the the Hobbit schmear must be the hairy feet. Uh, so with with Lyrigo, you you look and I'm thinking this does not feel like Power Rangers to me. This feels like a Canon Films mid '80s uh, like Willow knockoff. Exactly. Exactly. That is what is exactly what the beginning of this movie feels like, and 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 with that with that text crawl, you could this beginning could almost have more impact without the text crawl because it opens with the movie's one cinematic flourish, that dramatic close up of an arrowhead as that as the people on the creepy horses are hunting Larago, like that. Show us, make that your opening shot, and that would really grab us. But we're already bored by the time that shows up, and it has and it has no impact. And Larigo, there's something about Larigo, which is one of the, something that I, I I absolutely hate in movies or, or television, where there's a weird puppety creature that doesn't speak. I think the only word Larigo speaks is the name of his wife. Um, but because it has an articulated mouth, anytime the mouth moves even slightly, they've got to ADR in just a noise. So he's constantly chattering and gasping and going to himself. And I find that very disturbing. It's disturbing and it's annoying. Um, I, I do want to point out, looking over these credits again, uh, the co-director and co-writer of the film, Shukai Levi, I'm mispronouncing the Shuki Levi. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, I think it's Shukai Levi, but I'm not entirely yeah, sure. I think you're right, Shukai Levi. Um, he is well known for not just doing the theme song to Power Rangers, but he did, he did theme songs to like hundreds of cartoons and TV shows, uh, including some of the best theme songs of the 80s, Mask and Jason the Wheeled Warriors. He's responsible for composing yeah, he also, the theme songs for that. 
he also did all the music for uh, for Kid Video, which I think I've talked about on our, our sister podcast, In Trouble Again, the Star Wars Droids podcast. Listen to it now. Um, uh, he also did the music for, I don't know if you remember this, but the Rainbow Bright movie. I never saw the Rainbow Bright movie. I think I saw My Little Pony, the movie. But um, but he's, he's a frequent yeah. co- uh, collaborator with Haim Saban, uh, mm-hmm. who's kind of the, the mastermind of Saban International, who, uh, who did uh, Power Rangers and most yeah. of its incarnations. And he directed a lot of early episodes of the TV show as well. So, I mean, that, that he's one of the people involved as, as the director makes sense. The other director on here, David Winning, uh, has has done a lot of television, but he didn't have you know any direct hand in directing the TV show, from what I could tell. He, he has he has a really interesting filmography because he's only done a mm-hmm. handful of movies, but he did Friday the Thirteenth. Just some highlights: he did Friday the Thirteenth, uh, the series. Uh, Are you afraid of the dark? Uh, Sweet Valley High, Goosebumps, Nightman. He did three episodes of Nightman, which is a strange duck because it's a live-action TV show based on a canceled Malibu comic that was co-produced by Marvel Comics. Um, oh, yeah, Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, Gene Roddenberry's Earth Final Conflict, Dinotopia. Oh, God, there was something There was something else here that jumped out at me. Oh, the, the recent Van Helsing. Uh, and he also did uh, a Marrying Father Christmas, which was a Canadian-American co-production for uh, the Hallmark Channel. Yeah, so certainly a lot of credits. And, um, I mean, visually, I don't think last week's uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie looked that interesting. Uh, either a lot of that one was sort of set at at night with the fight scenes in the beginning and and this one as i said it has more of a more of a fantasy than a science fiction feel you're in the you're in the woods a lot there's a pirate ship later on um that that the zords are are cars is just stupid in my opinion but i'm getting a bit ahead of myself well i mean they're kind of beholden to the cars because they got to use what footage the japan is sending them although so now having having watched the original japanese super sentai series and doing some research the one thing that strikes me is that in the Japanese Super Sentai series, the heroes have a theme and the villains have a theme, but they are completely disparate. There's there's very rare that there's any kind of thematic overlap. Like with Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, which is based on Zayu Ranger, the hero theme, dinosaurs. The villain theme, fairy tale creatures. Um and and that that's something that I see uh repeat itself throughout the series. So this, which takes its special effects footage from Car Ranger, the hero's theme, cars, the villain's theme, uh, intergalactic space bikers, <laughs> who they recast <laughs> as pirates for Power Rangers Turbo. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, I in that you, you said the American series never brings attention to that, that there's a thematic idea to the look of the bad guys. Yeah, they, they, they just kind of they just sort of say the bad guys are whatever they need to be. So like in the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, they're, they're just the villains. Uh, Rita's a witch and there's really no greater explanation for that. Um, most usually the villains are just sort of meant to be from a vague empire like the Machine Empire, who were the main villains on Power Rangers Zeo. Uh, but yeah, with with this and, and Power Rangers Turbo, it's just space pirates. I see. Okay, so um, with uh, all this Power Ranger stuff, you know we have to see our heroes in in um, 
instead of getting like a, a skydiving sequence or something like last time, we get something a lot more low stakes. It's, it's a sort of karate tournament. Yeah, it's a martial It's a charity. A charity martial arts tournament to raise money for a uh, children's shelter. And it, this is really here. I mean, it does get some action, but not really. But I mean, it is setting up that one of the uh, Power Rangers gets injured. Well, and this is Fallout from the show. So the um, the the Blue Ranger from Power Rangers uh, Zero Zio, the actor had injured himself while filming the last few episodes. And so while recovering from the injury, he flat out wasn't going to be able to play the Blue Ranger. So they needed to so he wasn't going to be returning to the show the following season. So that's why he's so quickly dispatched with in this in this movie. Uh, you know, he, he there's just sparring. He takes a fall off the mat uh, immediately, go, immediately goes to the hospital uh that was all just to cover for the fact that the actor had an injury and wasn't going to be coming back to the show. That being said, their replacement for him is so, so infuriating. I hate little kid characters, especially in like superhero shows. So very easily this little kid from the shelter finds out that, that he and his friends are power Rangers. Well, he will later become the new Blue Ranger, which the movie tries to treat as a mystery, but he's the only other kid-named character, but also the trailer for this movie gave that away. Uh, I, I don't doubt it, and he's there on the poster as well. And, and th- that it had to do from the actor having an injury is is pretty interesting. I just thought they put it in as a craven mood to let's appeal to little kids more and have, you know, well, they'll identify more if a little kid is the Ranger. Well, um, I... When, I'm sure that's what motivated it. It's just that mm-hmm. the actor having to retire from the show, uh, kind of it, it, that they knew they had to recast it, and that that vacuum was a, a place to dump a lot of bad ideas. Did he ever come back, or a different actor? Or was he a little kid for a while? I'm not aware. I'm, no, I'm all through Power Rangers Turbo. The Blue Ranger was the the kid. I don't think the previous Blue Ranger, if he ever came back, it would have been for a guest spot. Through, throughout the various Power Rangers series, every now and then a previous actor will often show up. Sometimes it's a full time cast member. Sometimes it's just like a little cameo. Right. Um, so we have all you know the. The Rangers are, are briefed about uh, Larigo, and uh, at the meantime, we have the main villain of the piece, Divatox. And Divatox is played by Hillary Shepard Turner, who has a big list of credits. I I gotta say, I I enjoy I enjoy her performance. Mm-hmm. It's like she she clearly knows what her role in the movie is, so she just plays this big campy villain to the hilt. And it it really helps that it's her voice; it's not dubbed over like Rita Repulsa. I think that that really <laughs> adds. Uh, she has a lot of energy to her performance. Her her outfit, as we discussed um, before the show, is something for Daddy. <laughs> yeah, they they go. It's, it's, it's quite a lot of cleavage. It's like a, it's like something from the '80s Flash Gordon movie, is what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's right out of a De Laurentiis production. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh huh. Um, and it, it it's it's really uh, and yet all that being said, you know, it, it's just a really striking look. I think it's a good good design. Um, 
However, no, it's her, a like, really it's a really cool? fun look, and she's a she was a character yeah. created for this movie and for Power Rangers Turbo. She does she has no equivalent in the the Japanese uh, Car Rangers series. Uh, I think they just they just liked having it. I think they liked having an actress they didn't have to dub as the main villain. Mm, mm-hmm. So so there there we go. <laughs> but she, it, she's she's tremendously fun to watch. Uh, I it, it's a fun performance. I do not like the design. I can't think of the name, but is it Elgar? Is that the one with the big lawn face? Oh yeah, the guy whose whose oh. head looks okay. He looks like a penis who has a subliminal face. Yeah, and it you, you know it, it's aliens are so hard to do, but there's something maybe it is that penis thing that, that's grossing me out about the face. I don't really know, but there's and then there's a scene like for comic relief, she chops off his hand like it's happened several times before, and. Uh, which I think is sort of a funny sort of moment, but it's, I was always grossed out seeing that character on screen and I could not, I could not look away from it. So maybe that means it's effective. I don't know. It's, it's, it's appropriate. It's appropriately hideous or maybe inappropriately hideous, but it is hideous. You got to give it that. And, and the, yeah, the hand chopping scene, admittedly, it's a robot hand full of wires instead of bones and blood, but that is a level like, cause like the villains are always like throwing abuse at each other. Sure. Sure. Uh, it's nice to see that there's an actual physical consequence to that abuse, finally. Like, beforehand, they talk about, oh, I'm going to chop your hand off again. And I thought, oh, that's a weird threat. And they do it. And I was really kind of surprised. I mean, Star Wars has a lot of chopping of limbs and hands and so forth. But so I guess maybe they're just ripping off that. I'm like, oh, okay. That's something. And we have more of a role in this film for Bulk and Skull. Yeah, they, they were sort of conspicuously absent. So at this at this point... In uh, this is this is a weird a weird place because in the in Power Rangers Zio, they had become uh, like police officers, which is a great a far departure or then maybe not from their from their their early sort of punk uh, bully roots. Uh, and I think there is something comical about giving bumbling people authority and seeing how they react. Um, but yeah, they they do get abducted by the space pirates because they need human sacrifices for the wedding with Malagor, the demon-like creature. But for some reason, there's two inexplicable choices here. Because for some reason, after they're abducted, in a touching tribute to one of the abduction scenes in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Time, where their vehicle is parked next to, like, did you notice that? Uh, no, you're talking about it's parked near the rock or something, the well, mountain when, or well, when they're riding when they're riding their motorcycle and they're stopped at the stop sign, it's just like in Close Encounters, where at the railroad tracks, where like all the signs start shaking and the lights come out. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. They, they do the exact same thing, only clearly the stop sign is a plastic stop sign on a cardboard tube that some stagehand <laughs> can shake off camera. Um, but after they're abducted, inexplicably, their hair is white, like. I and their eyebrows. Uh, so maybe they were scared that way. I don't know. But also their their brains get scrambled, so they're easier to deal with. Which the result of the brain gets scrambled is that inexplicably, um, Skull speaks Spanish, and Bulk has a an Austrian accent. Yeah, it's a weird choice. And then I mean, before that, you do get to see them. Um, as cops with the hot dogs in the stadium with the mustard joke and the mustard gets sprayed over them and stuff. And that's, uh, that's pretty much the physical comedy they would do on the show. Right. And I found the physical comedy as weak as it was more enjoyable than 
them putting on these kind of dopey accents. But uh, but what do I know? I'm not the audience for well, this movie. They're, they've got a, a good Laurel and Hardy dynamic. Mm-hmm. And they seem to, they, I mean, they really, really get into it. They're not half-assing it, um, which is admirable. Well, they're playing on a level similar to Diva Talks. They're just going, they're just going full on in with what the movie's giving them to work with. So the Rangers get their Zords, which are cars, and they have special keys that they use to start. And it's it's just, I, I don't know. Like, you say they're stuck with the cars because that's what's in the Japanese series. Fine. But I find, ooh, they're, they're in cars that can drive around and shoot missiles or whatever. A lot less interesting than, oh, they're going to be in animal uh, outfits. Or they're going to be robots. Oh, they're going to be magicians. Oh, they're going to be dinosaurs. The cars <laughs> is very, very uninspired. Well, the thing the thing is, and this is something I found out doing my research. So the Car Ranger, it it was it was part of you know the overall Japanese Super Sentai cycle, but Car Rangers was meant to be more self aware and kind of a pseudo parody, um, which I believe was part of why they used cars in the Japanese version is because they're not exciting, huh, well, at least not the cars they they yeah. show us anyway. But the, the self-parody is something that is not part of the American version of that series, right? No, no, not really. Although, and I should have sent this to you, there is an episode of, I think it might be Power Rangers, like Ninja Force or something. There is an episode of the American Power Rangers where it's just the American Power Rangers watching an unedited episode of the Japanese series that they are based on. And it's a weird meta episode, um, which is kind of fun, especially if you know about the history of, of both shows. Um, but, you know, you talk about them getting, you know, getting their new cars and equipment and whatnot. They do make a huge meal out of that. But that doesn't happen until more than 40 minutes into the movie after a lot of filler, including yeah, it, it, trekking through Africa to get Larigo and a weird hostage negotiation scene. <laughs> They really do stretch stuff out. And for some reason, the, the stuff of Larigo, um, and eventually you see his wife, I was reminded a bit of uh, a cult classic film, Mac and Me. They have these aliens bumbling around Earth, and they, they can't really speak, and um, people are trying to get them. It, it's almost like like an E.T. knockoff in that sort of a sense. You have some of that similar dynamic. Yeah, it, this uh, you're right. This does have echoes of Mac and me with Larigo and his wife, and they're they're very disturbing looking baby. Right, and uh, they, you know, eventually the bad guys get get Larigo, and the good guys, uh, the bad guys are in a, a submarine, which I thought was sort of interesting. You don't see those around a, a lot. A submarine that can travel through space. Uh, yeah, of course, a submarine that can travel through space. Thank you. And uh, so, what are they going to do? They have cars, so but they can't. A car cannot, you know, drive into the ocean and get a submarine, can it? Okay, I want to talk about a a, a a cascading series of logical problems. Um, is Go for that, it. So, so you know, Divatox needs the wizard to stabilize the dimensional rift in the Nemesis Triangle so she can go through it. So the rangers need to follow. So the rangers have their car. The rangers have to go across a desert to get to a ghost pirate ship. And that's what they're going to use to follow her. But the reason they need to do that is that the ghost pirate ship can't be detected by Divatox's technology. So they'll be able to, to, do, to, do, it, uh, to do it stealthily. So 
in the one clever note in this uh, in this movie is that while while they're nearing the Nemesis Triangle, Elgar detects, hey, I'm detecting five human life signs, but no boat. So I I love the cleverness of, oh, no, the boat can't be detected, but its passengers can. That's kind of funny, although it, although it does make you wonder why they even bothered. But uh, later when the boat gets attacked and, dis- uh, and destroyed, they get into their cars. It turns out they can't be detected in their cars. So why weren't they in their cars in the boat? But also, the cars can drive <laughs> on water. So why did they need the pirate ship? Because you have to have all those amazing helicopter shots uh, of the the ship dicking around for five minutes as you hear this awful musical number where it's like, we're going to save the earth and Hope we have power. <laughs> yeah, on, yeah on, the, uh, on the soundtrack... Uh, yeah, that is "Hope for the World" by the Mighty Raw, who, which was just a name was for a, a band. Yeah, it was made for the guy who musicians. wrote and then performed all the Power Rangers yeah. music. Yeah, and a lot of this music would be used uh, later in Power Rangers Turbo. So again, they're using every part of the cheese. Now, from what I could tell, this uh, the season that this movie led into of Turbo is one of the worst seasons, according to the fans, of the whole Power Rangers. I, I'm not sure how to measure that. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, again, you know, the, the, the Japanese series is treating the cars as sort of a comedy. In the American version, it's treated completely seriously. So I think I think that it, that is it. You know, you know, what's our vehicle? A vehicle. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe you have some of this stuff where I did think there's some moments of cleverness. I thought it was funny when the little kid, you know, they kind of build up kind of a surprise you don't see who the blue ranger is um when they get the car and then when it pulls up to the uh the shore and uh, the kid and the person that steps out is a kid and he's like a good thing i got quick driving lessons on the way here from uh alpha from alpha yeah uh. and uh like i i would I, I wouldn't mind seeing those scenes God, the whole would, movie about alpha training the boy how to drive wouldn't it suck if you were like 11 and you could drive an armored assault vehicle but you couldn't actually drive a car. Don't they have a line of dialogue where it's like, well, it's legal to drive because it's not a car, it's a Zord. Yeah, Z- Zords <laughs> are completely unregulated. Uh, that was another That was another <laughs> like, legacy of the Clinton years. Uh, the, the Zords, the, they deregulated Zords. Yeah, so... Um, on uh, on the pirate oh go on well on the, yeah on the pirate ship so this is another thing you know there, there's all there's lots of like fights Power Rangers are known a lot for their fight scenes we don't get a fight scene in this movie until forty nine minutes in when they fight some dinosaur gorillas some stegorillas I'll call them on the pirate ship and the pirate ship fight it it's okay you know they they're kind of slimy they're goopy it it's set at night which always helps it makes these things look a bit less cheesy and they, um, they use their they environment because they throw a lot of barrels around and like stick barrels on the monsters mm-hmm. heads and yet and I, I have to ask you if this is something from the show because the last movie did this as well um do, do they always wait until the very end to have them fight in their suits you usually the way the way the show goes is by the end of the first act they will have transformed fought the monster and lost 
And then at the beginning of the third act, they will transform, fight the monster, win, but then the monster will grow, but then they get into their robots, and then they defeat the Mm. monster once and for all. That's usually how it works. Sure, and I'm I'm just constantly baffled at how much of this in the last movie, they're just humans in the normal outfits, and it makes it seem, and the poster is all the, the outfits from the show, and it's... I don't know. It's like a, it's like a Superman movie where he's never in his cape. Oh, so one thing that I uh, wanted to to point out is that we do. So we do get two uh, of the older Rangers uh, back. We get Amy Jo Johnson, the original Pink Ranger, and then we get. I believe he was the second Red Ranger. They get abducted while scuba diving and are going to be Divatox's sacrifices. There's a lot of there's a lot of bullshit of them trapped in in the brig, which turns out is right under the command station. So how nobody heard each other shouting their plans very loudly, I don't know. But their whole escape plan is because they were abducted while they were scuba diving. He still has a uh, uh, he still has a gadget that like tracks their depth, and their plan is when the ship ascends to a hundred feet below sea level, well they'll pull out the hatch and they'll swim to the surface. That's a horrible idea because you will get the bends. Not not just the bends. Um, yeah, if you're lucky, you, you know, might you could explode from the pressure. You well, could... well, that's essentially what the bends is. Uh, yeah. Nitrogen bubbles dissolved in your blood due to the intense pressure start to expand, uh, and they can burst capillaries, burst blood vessels. I mean, in extreme cases, you can get a stroke. Um, it can cause it can it can put a lot of stress on your organs. So, you know, you're supposed to swim to the surface. Like, if you have a diving equipment failure, you're supposed to swim through the surface slowly exhaling because that can help your body compensate. Um, But the thing is, from 100 feet, you could very well drown before you get halfway. 60 feet below sea level, it's a lot more plausible, especially, and, and, you know, 60 feet is also, there are different grades of scuba diving license. And I know this because I used to be a licensed scuba diver, but sort of a standard scuba diving license you're you're not supposed to you're not certified to go any deeper than 60 feet below sea level mm, and yeah, as somebody I've, who um, almost drowned while scuba diving mm-hmm. like that's that's about the limit of where of where you have any odds of survival from ascending from that depth then i'm sure that many feet is a lot more than it sounds you know, you know yeah. when you're down there, and yeah, that distance. Um, like I, I don't know if I don't know if like if you've if you've like tried to hold your breath swimming from one end of the pool to another, that's difficult. And you can just go to the surface and breathe anytime you want. Imagine that surrounded by thirty feet of water on all sides. Right. I um no scuba. I've never done. I have done snorkeling, which isn't much. But what I thought was pretty funny is there. I did snorkeling in Hawaii uh, on my honeymoon, got cool. like nine years ago. And um, people would freak out over just the snorkeling when all you're supposed to do is kind of lay on your stomach or you can go a little bit below the surface, not much, to see things. But there is something about having um, the equipment hooked up to your your nose and, and your mouth that really threw people off that they weren't used to. And they still have to do training for snorkeling, even though... Um, it's pretty hard to screw up snor- or it's pretty you know snorkeling is pretty uh cut and dry with what you need to do it's not a whole system like with scuba 
but but somehow the the pro, the old Red Ranger, the old Pink Ranger, and Bulk and Skull are able to do that, no problem. Well, it's all the physical training they've been through, and you mentioned Bulk and Skull were, were police. Part of the police training, and I think this was in the Power Rangers Turbo Technical Schematic book, um, mentioned that they, they do scuba as part of their training. Uh, and that it also explains why in Divatox's uh, submarine, um, they couldn't hear pe- people's plans back and forth because of all the soundproofing. Okay, so it's a soundproof submarine. Okay, okay. Sound, soundproof submarine. So. But yeah, so uh, they all end up on the island of Murathantius? Sure. They, they try to, they want it to sound like, it's one of those things, we need an island name, you know, like Atlantis, but not Atlantis. Uh, Murathantis? Yeah, okay. That's good enough. Let's do lunch. Let's go to lunch. I'm, I'm Shukai Levy. I don't know why Shukai Levy is a cockney, but I guess he is for the purpose of this comedy bit. Speaking of uh, of which, you know, I just found, uh, looked in the records, I found this audio tape oh, yeah. of the original BBC sequel cast series, Sequentially Yours. Do you want to give it a listen? Yeah, let's, let's do it. I'm going to press play, uh, click, hello, and we have to to sequentially yours. I'm Wilberforce Fortescue Fortesmythe, and with me is my co-host, The Phantom. Hello, I'm The Phantom. And we are here to discuss Turbo, colon, Power Rangers movie. The Turbo Power Rangers movie is really quite something. They have a car. Cars have turbo power. That's why it's named Turbo. It's true, and the film does, uh, in, in its way, uh, make rather a meal out of the notion that the cars are based on super-powerful turbo technology. But, of course, turbo technology is something that we have had for, for quite some time and is a narrator of industrial films. Uh, back in uh, a previous decade, I don't care to mention, uh, due to the war, um, I, I know quite a bit about that because, because you know, and, and if somebody wants to quote me on a future website, a pedia of wikis, I might say that a turbocharger, colloquially known as a turbo, is a turbine-driven force induction device that increases an internal combustion engine's efficiency and power output by forcing extra compressed air into the combustion chamber. This improvement over a naturally aspirated engine's power output is due to the fact that the compressor can force more air and proportionately more fuel into the combustion chamber than atmospheric pressure alone. I am the Phantom. Once I haunted a tailpipe, but then the person started the car. It almost killed me. <laughs> it almost killed you again. Now tell me, uh, Phantom, uh, what happens when a ghost uh, expires? When a ghost expires, he becomes two ghosts. If two ghosts expires, they become four ghosts. If four ghosts expire, they become no ghost. Oh, oh, I see. And must that happen in rapid succession? Or if I wait long enough, would you just sort of split again? No. So what happens is the ghost... There's so so many ghosts. And the ghost, after time, the ghosts go from four to two to one. If you give them enough time to heal, you see. But if you keep on killing the ghost rapidly, the ghost will cease to exist. We'll go from one to two to four. Oh, oh, rather like the delightful Martian alien station from Bill and Ted's bogus journey. 
as they combine, they become more smart and powerful, but as they divide, they become dumber. I had a bogus journey in a tailpipe, almost got burned to death. Uh, oh, so I see. So it was it was the heat and not the combustion uh, that, that would have done you in. Yes, ghosts hate heat. So do phantoms, for that matter. Ooh. Oh, phantom, you are always a delight. And that, that was a delightful clip from uh, Sequentially Yours. It, it's always, you know, finding those in the library is always a surprise. It, who knew about ghosts and phantoms? I mean, we, we learned a valuable lesson about ghosts and phantoms. Maybe one day they'll explain the difference between the two. Uh, and, and if we're lucky, Dan Aykroyd will, will be inspired by that bit for, you know, that Ghostbusters 4 or whatever the hell it's going to be called coming out with the, with the kids. Or Ghostbusters Zero, which is a prequel set in the, the funky, groovy 80s. I would like a Victorian set Ghostbusters in London, but that's just me. <laughs> well, just just make that a sequel to uh, Adele Blanc Sec and just put ghosts in there. Right. Well, you know what doesn't have ghost? Turbo, a Power Rangers movie. But it does have demon-like creatures. Okay, so this island... And it has the a island, ghost ship, yes. The island of Murathlantis. Um, so the island... The the island is turns out it's populated by badly carved model mountains, but also indigenous peoples who I feel like they're just wearing whatever was in the prop warehouse because I think they're trying to go for Polynesian, but they're wearing these like African tribal masks straight out of Ace Ventura 2 when nature calls. And they just speak in, like, this is not a sensitive portrayal of indigenous peoples. Let's just get that out of the way. It's not, but I also would like to point out, you know, it's this stuff still went on in the 90s, but it, it still happens today. And still, I mean, um, you know, a, 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 oh God, almost 10 years after this film, Peter Jackson had his King Con film, right? And that portrayal of the indigenous people was was pretty uh, unsensitive and awful, frankly. Um yeah, I, I guess like in this movie, they do everything short of putting bulk and skull in a giant stew pot. Right. No, this is a very cartoonish uh, portrayal of, of a different time. And I don't even know if, if they're necessary. Just have them on the island and just have a few monsters and have that be that. I don't know why you need indigenous people. And it, it just seems overly complicated for what. You should be doing at this point in the story. I feel like it's because it's cheaper to do that than to have monster costumes. Although, then again, they're going to have henchmen costumes uh, from the Piranatrons just lying around. So just give them an army of Piranatrons. You can still capture everybody you need to capture. Um, so the 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 temple the temple in this movie. Do you think uh, it looks better or worse than the temple from the previous movie? Um. I think this one is is a little bit better. I mean, they're all going for an Indiana Jones kind of thing, but it, it's the the hokiness of this one, a Temple of Doom really, sort of thing. I think you mean, yeah, yeah, Temple of Doom. I mean, right? Um, the the hokiness of this one, I just found more charming. Yeah, well, I think the thing that makes it work for me is when Lara go. So, so this is this is another one of those things because Diva Tox has been stating and restating her plan throughout the movie. So when they finally get through the Nemesis Triangle, which I got to say, props—that's a badass name. Um, yep, 
I, I wish they had mentioned it earlier, frankly. That should have been in the opening text crawl, because that sounds mysterious. But uh, it turns out they also need Laragor to open the temple, which has not been mentioned before. <laughs> I guess it's just an excuse to not outright kill him, uh, which is what she she clearly wants to do. But when he opens the temple and they go in, yeah, it is this kind of... It's straight out of Indiana Jones or like a Conan the Destroyer. He's got a big fire pit. But I love the way Diva Talk starts commenting on the temple because they've got these like these bowls holding us mounds of skulls with steams floating out of it. And there's just this one moment where she looks at it and goes, oh, pile of steaming skulls. Very nice touch. <laughs> Oh, and some of the these effects in this climax in in the in the temple, you have a really bad. We talked about bad CG last week with the with the CG robot of um uh, the ooze, right? The oh, ooze guy. Yeah, the biomorphicons. The biomorphicons just look bad. In, in this one, they use more you know practical effects, which I think overall look better. And, and if they're cheesy, that's part of the fun. But there's a terrible overhead shot of uh, you have Power Rangers tied up above a lava pit and the overhead shot of the lava pit below is really unconvincing like there's shots where it shows them hanging and they're just kind of cut off from the waist and like i think that's enough you get the idea well well i think what it is is that the the lava again is another like cheap effect it's clearly it's clearly water with like blo- uh with black chunks of foam floating in it with like a red mm-hmm. light a red gelled light shining from underneath which if you if you show that in quick clips that can be convincing as a lava pit but what the moment you linger on it is the moment you realize oh yeah that's just foam yeah i th- i think that's it but it just really it took me out of all the stupid things in this movie that really took me out of it but um so the two ranger sacrifices get thrown into the pit to summon Malagor for the, the, the wedding. And turns out they don't die. It makes them evil. So they come out uh, evil and fight the new rangers, which that was kind of fun. Um, yeah, yeah. And this scene, though, is filled with a lot of, like, combat banter between the good and evil rangers. A lot of which don't make any... The only one that really makes sense is when... Kimberly, the first the uh, pink ranger, is fighting the current pink ranger and is saying, pink is out. Like, that works, <laughs> but the rest don't. The one that really hurts is when the current red ranger is pinned down at the edge of the pit by the previous red ranger who's gone evil. And the red ranger, like, you know, out of nowhere is like, now I'm the one with the muscles and the power. And, like, I kept expecting him to go, I'll, I'll get you now, dad. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but... The the current red Tommy, the current Red Ranger, previous Green Ranger and White Ranger, he he says, But you forgot the you forgot the most important thing. Brain power. And then he doesn't outsmart him, he just kicks him really hard, throwing him like uh, throwing him off. Like where, where's the brain power? What does that mean? I must have uh, missed the episode where Tommy had his brain transplanted to his feet. I don't know, but oh, but then in the middle of this fight, Larago remembers, oh yeah, I can unevilify people, and fixes the, the old Pink Ranger and Red Ranger. <laughs> he waited the whole fight scene to do that. He likes fight scenes. What can I say? Okay. It, no, no, I mean it, it's just really that you get the two the Rangers turn bad and they fight the good ones. I think is a, a fun idea and one of the more clever sequences in the film. Um. But Which yet, I, because this is a Power Rangers movie, you have to have the Megazord. Yeah, and uh, so uh, so Malagor does come out of the pit, 
and Diva talks then just deci- like it like decides like she, surely she knows he's demon like, but she seems to not want to marry him now because he's this horrible lava monster. It's not a bad monster suit. Uh, I know it does get reused uh, in the Power Rangers series uh, as I think. It gets reused in the Power Rangers series, I think, as the villain, like Dark Phantom or Shadow Phantom in like Power Rangers in space and, and or whatnot. But um, you know, they leave the temple, and yeah, we get we get a Zord, and we get uh, a pornographic uh, transformation sequence because, and this is this is the thing. So in the Japanese series, they just drive giant cars, like that's the joke. Their cars are giant. But the cars we see them actually drive in this movie and in the Power Rangers Turbo series, those were custom cars made for the American series. So part of the transformation sequence is those cars just grow into these ridiculously (laughs) detailed giant vehicles. But we see every shot. And this I do think is kind of cool because I love this kind of practical effects work. We see every shot of all the vehicles driving together and combining and like parts opening up and 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 things intersecting. I like the transformation sequence, but in the end, it is just a guy in a robot suit. And yet this final battle in this uh, Turbo Power Rangers movie with all its problems, I think is better than what we got uh, in last week's show. Well, it's quick, so we don't have time to linger on its flaws. But they do it; they do get over it, over with it pretty quick. I feel like it's less than it's less than two minutes. The transformation sequence is longer than the fight sequence because they <laughs> spar a little bit, and then they summon a sword and shield, spar a little bit, and then they just rise up on rocket jet feet and like fly towards the Malagor. Cut him open. He falls off the island. He explodes. And the island volcano starts, the island, the island's volcano goes off, and I guess the island's going to sink, which will kill the native population, but they never, they never talk about that. Um, but they use the Zord to pick up uh, Larigo, his wife, and Balkan's skull, uh, and then leave, and then we cut straight to the martial arts tournament where Angel Grove defeats Rock Canyon. They get a check for $25,000, a giant novelty check. Uh, which they give to the Angel Grove Little Angels Children's Shelter. Uh, and then everybody smiles, has an aspirational moment, and the movie ends. Yeah, to end back at the karate tournament from the beginning is... Um, it, it's really lacking something. It's pretty low stakes. I understand you open the film with that. It's a charity thing, and you want them to be wholesome. But I feel like it should have ended... After their sort of, you know, big battle between the Megazord. Well, what's so funny, or it's not funny, but weird, is that on the pirate ship, so we know that the new Blue Ranger is one of the kids from the shelter that they're trying to raise money for, because I guess the shelter's going to close if they don't get that money. Uh, On the pirate ship, there's this lengthy scene where we get all of his backstory dumped in exposition when he's talking to Cat, the Pink Ranger, where, like, his his mother died... And his father lost the ability to focus. His father lost his dojo. And I guess the father's homeless. They don't really address what... Because it's a children's shelter. So presumably just the kid is there and his dad's not. And, you know, he's still holding out hope that his dad will get his shit together and will go back to teaching martial arts. I kept expecting the dad to show up at the end. But no, he doesn't. Right. Um... Yeah, I don't. I mean, something I overall, um, I will give this movie a sequel. No, that being said, I liked it more than the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers uh, movie. 
and I, I feel kind of the opposite. Cause for me, this yeah. is the, I think this is the worst thing we've ever seen. I know you think last week's movie was the worst thing we've ever seen. I, I do, but this one's not very good either. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a, a give it a sequel. No, this, this, I feel like this had to have started as either a TV movie or like a three parter episode to justify new, new toys. Frankly. <laughs> So that first Power Rangers movie did really well, and but it goes to show they kind of struck when the Power Rangers Iron was maybe at its most hot, you know, and it, shortly after it first launched and became a real phenomenon in the United States. And I mean, Power Rangers is still successful, right? They still make new episodes of it with the different themes each season, as you pointed out. Yeah, yeah, it, it's still it's still in production today, and it has an interesting history because at one point Saban sold the rights to Power Rangers to Disney. Disney couldn't make it work, and so Saban bought the rights back, and now Saban is back doing Power Rangers. And yeah. I frankly, and I frankly think the whole reason I think the whole reason Power Rangers is so continually successful, at least under Saban, is that Saban knows how to make something cheap. True. I, I think I think Disney sank more resources into it than they needed to, and that's why their version. I don't know if it was unprofitable, but it certainly wasn't as profitable as they wanted. And this and this movie is cheap. This the previous movie was cheap. Uh, also, I didn't get a chance to point this out, but this movie this was a non-union production, and part of the reason that more of the previous Rangers weren't on it, which was part of the original premise for the movie, is that a lot of the other Rangers were members of the Screen Actors Guild and didn't want to lose their guild status by appearing in this non-union film. Got it. Yeah, that makes a makes a lot of sense. Um, all right, so pitch a sequel. Um, what do you have in mind? Well, I guess I, I want something that that I feel like should have happened on the show but didn't. So I want to do uh, I want to do uh, Power Rangers. I want to do Power Rangers where in this Power Rangers movie, um, Diva Tox and Ivan Ooze team up to get revenge on the Power Rangers. And for once, they actually defeat the Power Rangers. Uh, and they defeat them to the point where all the Power Rangers are in the hospital with back injuries. Uh, and so Alpha 5 and Zordon are desperate to find somebody to fight off these monsters. And they need somebody who has experience with fighting mon- with monsters, uh, but also law enforcement. Uh, and, uh, and even though they aren't teenagers with attitude, they have the attitude of teenagers with attitude. And then it strikes on them, oh... No one fits these characteristics more than Bulk and Skull. So Bulk and Skull become Power Rangers. Uh, they become the Plaid Ranger and the Puce Ranger, respectively. Uh, and they have zany, bumbling fights with Divatox and Ivan Ooze's henchmen. They get their own Zords. Um, one of uh, that that are going to be that are going to be thoroughly nonsensical. Uh, one of the Zords will be a VW Bug. Uh, the other Zord will be oh, let's say uh, I'm trying to think of what's the, what's the most humorous prehistoric animal. Um, oh, duck uh, the duckbill dinosaur is that the Diplodocus? I, I don't know the scientific name, but. Uh, well, the, whatever, whatever, whatever Ducky from Le- the Land Before Time was, that's the, no, Platypus, mm. fuck it, Platypus Zord. And the Platypus Zord and the VW Bus Zord combines into this weird, you know, comical looking Zord. Uh, they do just as much damage to the city by accident in the fights as the, the, as the monsters do on purpose. Uh, 
and it and it ends. You know, they they do technically save the day. They do get to be heroes. You know, but they realize they don't really want the responsibility of being rangers. So at the in the end, they give all the power back to the main rangers cast. And the movie will be sort of an anomaly. It'll be the kind of thing that no one will ever refer to again. To the point where I think there should be a line where Balkan Skull almost turn to the camera and say, and we'll never talk about this adventure ever again. So it's a, it's a one-off. Yeah. And that'll be, uh, that'll be uh, P- Power Rangers, the Balkan Skull Chronicle. There you go. Chronicle. Um, Cause there's only going to be one. I think for my idea, I was a bit influenced by, um, you know, the Avengers end game and Avengers infinity war. So I think I, I would call it, um, Power Rangers Omega, and I would have it be uh, several wormholes open, and kind of like um, I don't know the movie Mortal Kombat or Enter the Dragon. One Power Ranger from each of the thirty-something seasons of the show gets summoned in this fighting tournament, and the same goes for the bad guys as well. So it's just a thin plot, just to do a lot of fight scenes. Um, some characters would live. Some would die, and I think this would be the first of a two-parter. There would be a plot twist where it turns out um, you you think they're really fighting each other, life and death, but it it turns out in the end it's really just a kid playing with his action figures in his backyard. <laughs> cool. So kind of a Lego movie twist there. Um, that'd be called Power Rangers Omega. So, oh, and I want to correct myself. The Diplodocus yes. was a sauropod. The Hadrosaurus was the duck-billed dinosaur. How could you? All right. So on to what you're watching. Thrasher, I think you said you haven't really been watching anything, so I'll... Well, I, I, I've been trapped in a real flurry of activity since our last episode, so re- regrettably, uh, I haven't seen a, 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 a full-on film, and I don't want to talk about another episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. So I, I've seen a few things recently I can talk about to to balance the load. Um, one was a, a movie um, funded and, and, and released on Netflix, directed uh, Amy Poehler, I think her, her directorial debut, perhaps, or at least for a movie as far as I know. It's called Wine Country, and it stars um, a lot of women, all of which were on SNL, um, one of which was a writer who I don't think has been on, on camera before. Cool. And uh, they filmed it in Napa Valley, and um, the trailer makes it look kind of a madcap hangover thing. And I, I think, but the movie isn't. It has some drama moments that don't quite work. It's trying to be like a John Hughes movie, and that people have serious trauma they're dealing with. Hmm. And that it, while it, it's a comedy at the same time, like a character in this one ends up having cancer and, and stuff like that. And to try and do that in the middle of a comedy it's a really delicate balancing act. You have to make it feel earned. You can't make it feel cheesy. And um, it doesn't quite work. I think the looser comedic uh, improvisation scenes are a lot more effective. Uh, you do get a lot of good scenery of Napa Valley. And if you've ever done wine tasting, some of the scenes where they're going to the vineyards are, are pretty funny. Cool. So, not great. Uh, the other thing was one that I can't think of the name of, so I will look it up. <laughs> Pre-search. Research at its best. You can hear my mechanical keyboard whacking away in the background. This was a movie that came out starring Rebel Wilson, and it had a really good um, 
premise, I think, and it's called Isn't It Romantic? It just came out earlier this year, but it's already on video. Or maybe it was last year. Oh, is this the one where like her life turns into a romantic comedy, but she knows how romantic comedies work? Yes. And that idea, it sounds like, oh, that would just be a Saturday Night Live sketch or something. But it's actually very clever with how it deals <laughs> with those tropes. It has a few musical numbers in there. And I, I appreciate it even visually. It sets her up in the real world before she gets bonked in the head and thinks everything is a musical, is a like a romantic comedy. And so visually it shows everything is very desaturated in the real world and hmm. kind of matter of fact. But as soon as she gets into romantic comedy world, everything is really brightly lit. Um, they have a joke that the romantic comedy she's in is PG-13, so she can't curse. If she tries to sleep, <laughs> if she tries to have sex with someone, it just fades to black. <laughs> like, like it, it, it's... Um, so it's really meta in that way. It, very meta, yeah. Cool. And uh, you have, a, as the lead, one of the leads, you have um, Liam Hemsworth, who's Chris Hemsworth's younger brother. And, and he's pretty good, too. But for some reason, in the real world, he has an American accent, but in the romantic comedy, he's Australian. Um, so kind of weird, but, but pretty good. I, I'd recommend that. It's, uh, it was better than I, I thought it would be. It's sort of, a, it sounds like a one joke premise, but it, it's pretty good. Huh. I'll have to check that and, one out. Yeah. Um, so let's do our sequel scene. <laughs> oh yeah. So I, I dug through like, uh, transcriptions of this movie and so much of the dialogue is incomprehensible or has multiple like upwards of six characters shouting at each other this was the best i could find <laughs> and it's a scene between uh scene between diva talks and her nephew slash henchman slash penis-headed mutant uh elgar uh reviewing bulk and skull and their suitability uh as sacrifices or and i love this bit of trivia that their full names are eugene skull skullovich and farkas bulk bulkmeyer indeed um so what character do you want to be i <laughs> i don't know um i guess i i've i've voiced uh, several women on these things would you be interested in doing diva talks or sure i'll do diva talks you can be the narration and you'll be elgar her penis-headed henchman okay okay so let's go what do you mean you can't find Larigo? oh uh, well uh are these my two humans of purity and strength yeah check them out i even scrambled their brains and they'd be easier to deal with he reveals Balkan's skull covered in garbage. Ta-da! What do you think? Are you out of your mind? Rygog begins to laugh. Ha ha ha. The idea was to woo Malagor and not make him lose his lunch. Slaps Elgar. I'm giving you one more chance. Don't blow it. Ah, <sighs> uh, yes, ma'am. To the Piranatrons. Hey, you heard the lady. Go find me some more humans, you losers. Elgar begins to slap the Piranatrons. What a scene. What a scene. Villain abuse. Oh, I gotta ask, did you sit through any of the credits on this? No. All right, so I, I did just to see uh, and if there was anything interesting, and there sort of was. About halfway through the credits, the credits gets pushed over to the side, and a little window pops up, and instead of showing us outtakes, it shows 
the full a full rescue sequence with Larago and his family and Bulk and Skull on the island. We see the Zords scoop them up. We see a shot of the cockpit. The door opens. All of them come in. There's like a little celebration in the cockpit. At one point, Bulk and Skull get to the controls of the Zord, and we get some shots of the Zord fumbling around. I feel like there's a whole scene we didn't get to see that I kind of would have liked, only it felt like that might have been some physical comedy that would have worked. I feel like it's a shame that it's played in the uh, behind the credits, but with no audio. Yeah, that, it's pretty strange. And I, as far as I know, there's no like extended or director's cut of Turbo, a Power Rangers movie. I hope their brains got unscrambled. <laughs> well, that okay. So that was a rumor that I could not confirm. As according to some trivia sites, the original cut of the movie was over three hours long, but no one knows where that footage is. So I, I guess that can't really be confirmed. But if that's true, then that does make this sound more like it was going to be a multi-part episode for the TV show. Yeah, listen, there's no way they would have made this in theaters as a three-hour movie. It could have been a three-hour sort of like assembly cut thing, but I could certainly buy the theory that this was meant to be like a four- or five-episode story arc that they just chopped down to 90 minutes for the uh, theatrical movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, hey, may, but maybe somebody out there listening can get us, get us a version of that footage with audio. I would like to see it. And um, we're going to be talking about, next week on Sequel Cast 2, we'll be talking about Power Rangers, the 2017 reboot that um, did not do well at the box office, so it looks like we're not going to get a sequel. So another another franchise starter that did not start a franchise. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think 2017 was a weird time. Around that time, you also had a um, another movie based on a TV show, uh, meaning uh, it was Gem, remember? Gem and the Holograms? Oh, Lord, Had yeah. a live-action movie just called Gem that really tanked real fast. So, and, uh, but this Power Rangers next week, I'm sort of excited for it. I've heard uh, the reviews, I think, were pretty strong. And, um, mm. I think in retrospect, I heard that, oh, because it's PG 13 or something, that's why family audiences did, didn't see it. But I don't think that would have scared off audiences, really. I just, I don't know. The Power Rangers have been around for so long. I'm a bit surprised they waited so long to bring it back as a movie, especially once Transformers started doing well. <laughs> True, and I am kind of delighted that Brian Cranston is in it because, like that—that that was always Brian Cranston trivia was that when he first started acting, he did monster voices for uh, Power Rangers, and that—and that is in fact true. Uh, so I think it's great that as a as a huge respected actor, they bring him back in the Zordon role. So I'm at least looking forward to seeing him. I didn't realize that. That's funny. It makes me think of how um, the late Phil Hartman uh, from Saturday Night Live, one of his earlier roles was voicing um mr wilson on the dennis the menace cartoon in the oh, 80s yeah he also did some incidental voices in dennis's dad and his mr wilson voice was just like this like it was a walter matthau voice over a decade before walter matthau would play mr wilson in the uh in the uh, dennis the menace movie did he play mr wilson or am i mis- making that up was it just the dad i thought he had oh, some. No, he pleaded Wilson, the dad, and some incidents. He did both. Okay, voices. I see. Uh, and I know, yeah. actually, if you listen to uh, the ABCs of SNL with John Lovitz, uh, he that's one of the stories he tells is that when he started getting into doing improv with uh, 
with Second City and with uh, with Phil Hartman that everyone was jealous of Phil Hartman because he was the one getting full-time acting work and he had a new car. And he got the new car because he was being paid well doing the Dennis the Menace voices. He got a new car. He had a house. Other people didn't have a house. He, yeah, no, he... But John, Lo- ironically, John Lovitz was on SNL before Phil Hartman was. That That is true. And Lovitz was one of the ones that lobbied really hard for Hartman. <laughs> Poor Phil Hartman. Okay. So um, next week we're talking about the 2017 Power Rangers movie. And then after that, we'll start talk on a new series. Um, it's Death right, Wish. Pally. Death Wish with uh, Charles Bronson. <laughs> All six movies, five with Charles Bronson, one with Bruce Willis. It'll be kind of a, a little change of pace from Power Rangers. but um, we, we haven't done a series on that scale since the original sequel cast, so this is going to be interesting. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know, if they, if they, well, we can talk about that offline, but I do have <laughs> physical copies of the movies if, if we need them, if, if they get yanked off Amazon or whatever. So um, there you go. So for... Um, sequel cast you can follow me on twitter at m-a-t-w-b-t you can follow me on twitter at internet mayor so for sequel cast uh two uh this is matt and this is thrasher same uh, you should never send a moron to do a mutant's job oh.